0: we also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. We were here last week, and so I've decided to do part two today. Can we do that? I didn't even really get into the message last week, but. We will a little bit more this morning. And I want to give a little bit of a recap because I don't want to take up too much time on regurgitating what was already shared last week. But we've been talking about this idea of the revelation of generosity. We we came into this year, we had three things that we felt were going to frame the year ahead. And that was the revelation of community, the revelation of generosity, and the revelation of the gospel. And we were going to unpack these things In various ways throughout the year that they would frame and shape and reshape some of the landscape, the spiritual landscape of this house and of our personal lives. And so we spent the first four months on community probably and kind of unpacked that, dove into that, highlighted some stuff around that area and are continuing of course to do that. And it's kind of always sort of around us. But then the revelation of generosity is sort of the season we're in now and so we're unpacking that. What does that mean? What does that look like? We talked about addressing the sin of Achan. In Joshua chapter 7 where it says, in 7 verse 1 it says that Israel violated the instructions of the Lord in regards to taking some of the dedicated things that were to be dedicated to the treasury. But it was never Israel that did that. It was one man named Achan. Yet God looked at one man's sin in the lens of the whole community. That's, isn't that kind of, kind of sucks, doesn't it? It's like, it kind of sucks. Like, we're punished for one man's sin. As a result, they lost the next battle. They went to face Ai, and they were confident. We just won against Jericho. Like, we got this. Little did they know that Achan had stolen some gold, some silver, a beautiful robe, and hid it. And then he lied about it. He hid it, and then he lied about it, stored it in his tent, And they couldn't advance because they didn't obey and listen to the instructions of God. And I shared this, this idea that there are seasons of our life where God focuses on introduction, and then there are seasons of our life when God is like, now it's about instruction. Introduction versus instruction. In the wilderness, Israel was introduced to the provider in a whole new way. They had known Slavery. They had known Egyptian culture to provide their meals every single day as slaves. But now they move into a wilderness and now they're introduced to a supernatural provider. They're here, they're, they're getting manna, they're getting quail every day, supernaturally. They're introduced to a whole new side of God that they have never seen before. But then they transition after 40 years out of this place and now it's about the instruction. If you just listen to my instruction, you'll conquer, you'll win. And it says in Joshua 7, they violated the instructions of the Lord, and as a result, the whole community was punished. Now, under a new covenant of grace, we know that no one's dying for this stuff. We know that no one's punished the same way. It was called the law of sin and death for a reason, right? You broke the law, the law of sin and death. You broke the law because you sinned. Death was the result jesus became death to free us from death which is the good news of the gospel he said it is finished so how does this apply to now well the same way that a the same way that aiken was destroyed and his family was destroyed i would venture to say that we destroy and self-destruct areas of our life spiritually speaking when we don't listen to his instruction When we don't listen to what God is sharing to us, or leading us, or guiding us to do, when we don't listen, when we disobey, the damage of that maybe isn't death, maybe it is at times, but it's self-destruction. It's missing out on all that God wants to give us, right? That's damaging. When you miss out on what God wants to give you, it's damaging. So we've been addressing this, that I, 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 I've proposed this, I, I wonder sometimes. I wonder sometimes if the reason why the church is not at the center of society like they should be is because of the sin of vacant. Where there are people within commu- the spiritual community of God withholding what's God's, hiding it away for fear that they won't have enough, withholding from God, whether it's the time whether it's your gifts, whether it's your finances, withholding from God in any way. Anything that God has said, I want it, we withhold it. And I wonder if we as a community, as a whole, the Big C Church as a whole, isn't the prominent people group in society changing the world like they could and should because of the sin of Achan. I propose that I believe that there is an element of that to be true. That when we're all in, imagine a body of Christ across Canada that was just all in in every area that they were called to be all in on. What would happen? What would happen? Reformation would happen. Like, like culture would change. Absolutely. I mean imagine now in a small community if everybody carried weight in a small community. Everybody was connected. Everybody was connected to each other, involved. Invested in various different ways. I wonder what kind of strength would come to a community. Right? Just imagine. Imagine if everybody was walking in supernatural generosity, what would happen? I just believe that the sin of Achan is a massive one in the church right now, across the board. You know, I suffer when Matt doesn't play his part. He suffers when I don't play my part. You're, the person beside you suffers when you don't play your part in the body of Christ. Why? Because you're called to be the body of Christ and when one part of the body is not functioning, it affects the other part of the body. When I had my leg injury in July and I couldn't walk, my whole body was affected by that. Not only my body, my mind. You know, I was like, man I'd much rather have like an arm issue right now than a leg issue. Can't get up to go to the bathroom. You know, so when one part of the body is not functioning properly, it affects the other parts of the body. So this is why God sees not just one man, Achan, He sees the community. He sees the effect that one man's sin can have on a community. So we've been talking about this, and, you know, we've been talking about what spiritual riches are. We shared a little bit last week, and I opened up in Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to do that again, and we're going to do part two of what we talked about last week, guarding your generosity. Write that down if you're new with us this morning, haven't been here, weren't here last week. I'm doing part two of this, so I'm going to fast track through some of the things we talked about last week, but we're talking about guarding your generosity. Don't let greed lead. Greed is a horrible leader every day of the week. It's a horrible leader. And often we don't know when greed is in the lead. We often don't realize it until after the fact. And I want to read Luke chapter 12 verse 13. It's a parable. And Jesus is interacting with the crowd and someone calls out in verse 3 from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, this is verse 15, Beware guard against every kind of greed." There are many different kinds of greed. There are many different kinds of evil, right? There are different kinds of greed. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not measured by how much you own, it's not measured by how much you don't own. Your success is not measured by what you don't have the same way it's not measured by what you do have. Just because you don't have a, you know a two million follower hit in Instagram account doesn't mean you're not successful. Just because you don't have your face on a billboard doesn't mean you're not successful. Because first of all God, success is less is, is always less superior than significance. Biblically speaking, God is more about significance, which is connected to legacy, than He is about success, the way the world defines it. Significance is more important than anything. Because if you looked at, if you judged Jesus by the way we judge success today, you would say He was unsuccessful. All of His crew left Him. His right hand finance guy betrayed Him and then killed himself. he's like, other right-hand guy denied him three times. They all went back to their old lifestyle. They really didn't seem to absorb all the teaching on how he had to die and that he was going to resurrect again. Like, thank God for grace, right? Thank God for grace. His grace is an invitation to come back into the fold. And he had that when he was walking as a resurrected man. But thank God that he's a man of grace, that he is grace. He's the epitome of grace and truth. Because man, if you judge Jesus, if you judge God as creator based upon Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, you would look like, oh, did God make a mistake? Because wasn't it God's intent for sin not to be rampant in the land and yet God created two people that screwed it all up? Did God make a mistake? No, God gave us free will. We made the mistake and we blame God. So if you judge based upon the world's idea of success, maybe you could say that Jesus was a failure, but we don't judge the same way the world judges. His action, what he did, who he was, was significant. We get success from significance. We don't get significance from success. Verse 15 of chapter 12, it says this in the message translation. I like how it says it. It says, take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed protect yourself. Guard yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Verse 16. Let's move on into the story. Then he shares them uh, with them a parable. He tells them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced the crops, fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Verse 19. And I'll sit back and say to myself... My friend, he's speaking to himself right now. You have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. This statement is so powerful, and you can unpack this for a long time. This statement to say that you are a fool To have all this stuff and store it up and not have a rich relationship with God is to say that a rich relationship of God, with God, is reflected in generosity. It's not reflected in self. Did you hear that? A rich, in this context, Jesus, sharing this parable, he is connecting what a rich relationship with God looks like. It's not storing it up for you. It's actually storing it up for kingdom things and for others it's selfless it's generous a rich relationship with god in this context looks like generosity in fact that's the nature of god john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave generosity is at the core of the gospel there is no gospel without generosity and the most generous thing anyone's ever done is to die willingly on a cross for people's junk and their sin And their self-destruction. It says here in verse 21 of the message, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. When you fill your barn with self and not with God. Here this guy is, he's like, he's building the business, he's building the thing, he's like, he's got, but his motives were a little, probably a little off, don't you think? How can I get more? Well I know, I'll tear down the old barns that are already full and I'll build bigger ones so I can acquire more. But really there's no intention in his heart to actually steward and manage in generosity what he's been given. It's just a matter of him hoarding, a matter of him, look what I've done. The reason why it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom is not because of the riches. It's because of the way they went, the way, the way they perceived their riches. God was addressing the mindset that a rich man, it's harder because at times when you're really rich you somehow think that you did it all yourself. And somehow you cannot see and you're blinded to the fact that God is still your source. And we're going to get into this a little bit because this is all through Deuteronomy as well. This is in the preparation that God, God had, had, had written out for them, written in Deuteronomy For Israel to cross over into the promised land. He was preparing them. Because you're going to have these challenges when you get there. You're going to have these same challenges. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 12. Let's go back to the story. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns and God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any of the birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Then he goes on to talk about the flowers and how the lilies grow and how God cares about the flowers and how God cares about us. And then he throws this in at the last part of verse 28. Why do you have so little faith? These worries that are consuming you are a reflection of small faith. Hoarding and being greedy for more is a reflection of your little faith. Verse 30 says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world then the, the verse we all love in verse 31 which is also found in Matthew six thirty-three, seek the kingdom above all else and he will give you everything you need seek the kingdom above all else and he will give you everything that you need store up and he goes on in verse 33 sell your possessions give to those in need this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes wherever your treasure is There the desires of your heart also will be. I know I'm reading a lot here, but I wanted to recap this because this is what we're unpacking a little bit today. I believe that generosity is the antidote to greed. It starves it out. If you want to guard your generosity, be generous. You could say you're generous. I know a lot of people that will say they're generous. Because they want to be looked at like they are generous, but they don't live a generous life. They live a very conditionally generous life. They don't live a generous life. Like I've said it over and over again. Like you buy a person a coffee and then you say, you get me next time. That's not generosity. That's, that's conditional giving. I will give this coffee to you and the agreement is you will give me a coffee later. That's not generosity. Generosity is a love. It's a reflection of love without any conditions. God gave his life for humanity. And it wasn't on the condition you were going to give your life to him. He just gave it to you. Freely offered it up to you. That's what generosity looks like. But we're wrestling. We're wrestling against loving God. Loving generosity. Mr. G himself, generous himself. And the love of money, right? This is the wrestle. The two gods that you're gonna wrestle with the most probably in your life are these two. The love of God, loving Him with everything, surrendering everything, and the love of money. Matthew six twenty four. There's two masters. Two gods at work. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And at the, in, at, at the core of being enslaved to money is greed. And even if you are struggling and don't have a lot, it doesn't mean you're not greedy. Sometimes people that have the least are actually the most greedy. The same way that you think sometimes people that have the most are the most greedy. Yeah there's greed on both sides. Greed, once again, is not about what you have or don't have. It's about a mindset, what's driving you? And we're gonna get into this in a second. I want to talk about this guarding your generosity by guarding our motivations. Write this down, number one. I want to unpack two really important themes this morning around guarding our generosity. We didn't get here last week, and like I said, I'm not gonna have time to recap everything last week, but I wanted to build a little bit of a framework again. But number one, we have to guard our motivations. If we're going to guard our generosity, we have to guard our motivations. What drives us? Why do we buy what we buy? Why do we do what we do? Why do we fill our schedule with what we fill our schedule with? What is driving our lives? He says in Luke 12, 15, beware, guard against every kind of greed. How do we do that? Pay attention to our more, our motivations. Because every kind of greed is every kind of evil. And this is a direct link and connection to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. When Paul was helping Timothy as a young pastor, pastoring probably for five years at the time. How do I, how do I lead these, these uh, this church? And how do I lead the rich? How do I lead them? Because there was some rich people in his, his community. And how do I lead them? How do I help them? How do I pastor them? How do I guide them? And Paul says this to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Sounds like to me all kinds of greed. The love of money. It's not money. Money is good. Money is really good. How many like money? It's the love of money. It's the worship of money. It's the adoration. It's the idolatry of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. I hear people all the time in the secular space take this out of context and say, people always say money is the root of all kinds of evil. No one says that. No, the Bible says the love of money, it's the worship of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this is Matthew 624. This is the wrestle. It's the master. This is Jesus at the last supper. One side is the love of God, John the revelator, who is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, who represented grace. His name actually meant grace. And on the other side of Jesus was Judas, the love of money. And at every table in life we are going to wrestle with the love of money and the love of God. This is Matthew 6:24. Jesus represented his own statement in Matthew 6:24 at the last supper sitting beside the love of God and sitting beside the love of money. This is what's going to happen to all of us. We are tempted to either love one or love the other. You pick. In this verse of Luke chapter 12, verse 15, where it says, every kind of greed, if you break this word down, uh, of types of greed, it actually means all forms of declension or moral deterioration. Beware and guard against every type of moral breakdown in your life. This is Matthew, this is 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 10. All kinds of, all kinds of evil, the root of all kinds of evil protect yourself, guard your generosity, guard your motivations, because you don't want to be trapped or enslaved to this moral breakdown because of greed in your life. When Paul says to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, that word love literally means extreme greed for wealth or material gain. It's an insatiable desire for material gain, social value, such as status or power. How many, how many feel like this is coming at us all the time? Like uh, commercials, like everything, right? This comes at us all the time. And let's just be honest, are, are we ever tempted? Like, man, I'm not enough. Like, man, I suck. I I don't have the car. I don't have the thing. I don't have the house. I don't have that. I don't have this. And people say, I should have this by this age. I don't have that. I don't have this. And we compare ourselves, right? And we could get trapped in greed in those moments. And be tempted to, to, to want something that maybe isn't for us right now. Because greed is made manifest when we operate outside of the timeline of God. When I want something before it's time, God knows sometimes that it's going to be brutal for me. It's not going to help me. It's going to, it's going to break me. It's going to, it's going to break me down. If I get something too early in life, Proverbs, Solomon said it like this, an inheritance obtained too early in life isn't a blessing in the end. Some things that are obtained too early in life are not a blessing in the end. And so God withholds and holds you back from some things to protect you. But then greed has a way of pushing through God's holding you back and making something happen only to find destruction on the other side. I mean we've all probably done it, right? Maybe you invested in the investment because of the FOMO, the fear of missing out. Maybe you've like did the thing. You bought that thing because you thought you weren't going to get it again on sale or whatever, right? And your motivation was almost like instead of wisdom it was fear. Well if fear is leading you in your money decisions, greed is at the door. But when wisdom leads the money decisions, when wisdom, and wisdom sometimes, most of the time when it's God's wisdom, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Because it's not fear motivated. So it's like there's not there's not nothing external pulling on you. I don't know why I gotta do this, but I gotta do this. It doesn't make sense, but I gotta, it's the right thing. Those are the best kinds of decisions that you could make. Our motivations are directly tied to what we worship, what we most focus on, where our attention lies, and the biblical litmus test it is always that, is what do you love more? If you want to know if you're suffering with greedy motivations, think about what you love the most. Think about what's on your mind the most. Let me just propose this. And this is not to, to be heavy. I know this is like a heavier type of a message This these last two weeks. It's not to expose you, but if you constantly are worrying about money, money has a hold on you. If you're constantly worrying about money you're enslaved to it it's a hard that's a hard revelation to hear but this is why jesus said it like you can't serve two masters and then he follows that up in in luke 12 that thought up with this idea of like what's worrying gonna do anyways like the ravens don't worry the flowers don't worry and i take care of them how much more will i take care of you but God I but 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 and then you think about it like he's taking care of you this far. We have a breakthrough and then another problem happens and we forget the last breakthrough. So really then God hasn't taught us anything or we haven't learned anything. And sometimes those things will repeat themselves until we learn something. Cuz the same things repeating for a reason. So you break through, and then you have another challenge that's similar to the last one, but looks different. It's expressed different, smells different, tastes different, and you forget what He did before. And you're back at the same exact place you were in the beginning. And God's just waiting for you to learn the lesson He's trying to teach you by repeating the same thing over and over again in different contexts. Are you with me this morning? Are you hearing this? And this is why, this is so important. I love this. you got to please I'm like... I know I'm going to be scripture heavy this morning, but this is why I love Deuteronomy as a preparation book to get Israel ready so when they land in the promised land, they don't screw it all up. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9 to 14, let's read this together, please. This is, this is powerful because I've said it over and over again, that it's actually more dangerous when you've had the breakthrough than when you don't. When you have nothing and you're wrestling... It's like you have nothing to lose, right. You're just wrestling. You're breaking through. You're living in a more dangerous place once you break through. Because the enemy will do whatever he can to take you out of that breakthrough and out of that place you just occupied. It happened to Israel. They broke through Jericho. Man their pride set them up for some disaster. Like oh we don't even need to try this next one. We got it. And they lost the next battle. Be careful. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 9 to 14, it is a land, talking about when you get to the promised land flowing with milk and honey. Remember, they've been in the wilderness like lifestyle for 40 years. Okay? They've had quail at night. They've had manna in the morning, which is like a little honey wafer that would fall on the ground. Supernatural food provision for 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear out. Okay? Maybe they weren't living the lavish lifestyle. They weren't living in castles. They weren't living like the rich, wealthy life. They were surviving, okay. They were surviving. The promise was they'll get to a place where they will, when they will thrive. And they're going to get in eventually. They finally are about to get in and, 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 and the preparation is happening now. So when you get in Israel, make sure you think these ways. So he's talking in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 9 to 14, speaking to them. As a group, saying, it is a land, speaking of the promised land, where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It's not like the land you're living in right now. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, listen to this. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. He's reminding them, like when you have, when you start tasting of the land, taste of the new season, the financial breakthrough, you get the new promotion. When you get there and you've got the, how many in this room have worked so hard to get somewhere and they got there and it was like, it doesn't feel what you thought it was going to feel like. Don't forget where you came from. So be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11, listen to this. But that is the time to be careful. Be careful. She's like, when you get it, you finally get it, 40 years. Now is the time to be careful. You thought to be careful in the wilderness. Like you could die at any moment, you know, one man's scant sin, could screw it all up for you. Like you could die at any moment. But now is the time. Once you've broken through, now is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, in your breakthrough, in your financial success, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey His commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. Don't forget where you came from bro. That's what he's saying. Don't forget where, don't forget the stock you're from. Because you'll be tempted to worship self. Break down your small barns that are already full and build bigger ones. Just like the guy in the parable, the rich man with the fertile land. Don't be that guy. Because you'll be tempted to be that guy. Look what I've done. I suffered for forty years in the wilderness. Look where I am now—like playing golf in the land of Canaan, sipping on the honey, drinking the milk from the teat of the cow, whatever. I don't know how they, where the milk came from. I guess the goats, the cows, whatever. Straight from the teat. <laughs> Can I said that in church. Yeah just, just pure. I mean, it's just, it's all pure. It's amazing. Like, I'm loving the life. Look at what I've done. No, whoa, 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 whoa. No, look at what God did. Don't forget to praise the Lord because He's the one that brought you out into this promised land. I love this. For when you have become, listen to this verse 12. For when you become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. When you make your first million, don't forget not to become proud. Just just guard yourself. Guard your motivations. Guard Guard what's driving you. Don't let money become the thing. Because when you taste, how many know when you taste a breakthrough, it sends a dopamine rush to your body. And you want to keep feeling that. When you taste a break, when you have a new experience in any area, you're like, I'm going to keep doing this. Like, this is amazing. I'm just, you know, stocking greenbacks now. I mean, this is amazing. Money's rolling in. He's saying, be careful at that time. I want to bless you. Like, I want to do this for you but be careful. Be careful. Watch your heart. So always ask this question. I think it's the best question is where is my worship directed? Is my worship now no longer on God because he says don't forget to praise the Lord, right? For his good goodness that he brought you out of the land. Where is my worship directed? Is my worship directed now to this thing that's given me the rush? all this breakthrough or is my worship still the one who brought me out of the land of slavery or out of the land of wilderness into the promise? Colossians 3 verse 5 calls greed a very bad thing. It says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. God wants our worship. I believe that one of the reasons, one of the reasons among many why God, and we've taught about this, we teach about this, we believe this in this house, one of the reasons why it's so important for you to trust God with your finances in the context of the house of God is because He wants your worship in the context of the house of God. And one of the ways that we worship God is with our money, to return back to God what's His. To manage our 90% really well and trust God with our first. It's an opportunity to not let anything else be in place of God. Because so what are the two, what are the two gods? Money and Him. Everything else is secondary. You know that right? Everything else is secondary. We either worship God or we worship money. And one of the reasons why I believe from the beginning He he, he has proposed this idea that if you would trust me with your first ten, and you would trust me with your offering, I will make sure that you have a healthier heart when it comes to me being the one leading you and nothing else. Because money is a dangerous, a dangerous manager. Dangerous manager. And so we learn this in the house of God. That's why we talk about giving here. Because it's not about It's not about what you're giving to ever, as much as it's about who you're giving to in the end. Trusting God, but it's also about what God does in your heart in that process. It's a way of continuing to say, God is first. God is first. God is first. This week was hard, but God is first. Because I'm putting something, I'm giving something back to Him that's tangible. Are you with me this morning? Man, I, I know I've learned more so in the last 20 years and I've learned to, to, to identify it better when greed is leading a decision in my life. You know, when I've had an investment opportunity or something and i felt the fear of missing it and then I quickly take action and then I see the destruction of that. And then I realized, okay, it wasn't wisdom that was leading me in that moment. Now I'm a lot, I can smell it a lot better now. So I'm less, I'm, I'm less quick to rush to decisions that are driven by FOMO. Because often the fear of missing out, like I said, is just simply the entryway for greed. It's a mask for greed. And I've learned to identify this. In fact, some of the best business investors, financial investors will tell you Invest when people are in fear. Take out your investment when people are greedy. Buy when they're in fear. Sell when they're greedy. Some of the best business, some of the best business investors you will ever meet will say that statement to you. People that have made billions of dollars in the stock market for example. Sell when people are greedy. Buy when everyone's in fear. A biblical definition of greed, I want to just write this out for you, and if you can take a picture on the screen, probably, I think I have it up there. A biblical definition for greedy, or being greed in greed, is lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best. See, temporal things are not bad. It's the lust for a greater number of them that go beyond what God determines as best for your life. It's going outside of the parameters of what's healthy for you. Biblical commentary, John Rittenberg, uh, says this, describes greed as ruthless self-seeking and an arrogant assumption that others and things exist for one's own benefit. Self-seeking. selfishness. I love this. The Scottish moral philosopher known as the father of modern capitalism, Adam Smith, wrote in the nature and causes of the wealth of nations, listen to this this statement, that it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. Did you hear that? Take a picture of that. Is it on the screen? It is not from the benevolence of the butcher, no it's not up there, oh yeah it is up there. The brewer or the baker that we expect our dinner from, but from, but from their regard to their own interest. And his, his statement regarding this, uh, as far as benevolence is very true. Like, we're not, we're not, we, we don't get our food because someone's benevolent. Someone's generous. They have self-interest in there, right? They're making money. It's their job, right? The world has to spin around. It's got to go around. The economy has to work. There's always a little bit of self-interest everywhere. But here's how I would correct this statement from a biblical standpoint. Not correct it, but I would say it a little bit differently. I would say, wealth is not built on benevolence, but it really is not wealth without benevolence. You may not be able to logically build wealth on benevolence. Like the butcher can't become rich by giving away all his meat. You get what I'm saying? Like he will not be wealthy if he just gives it all away. Logically speaking. But in the kingdom, from a biblical standpoint, true wealth is not wealth at all without benevolence. Like giving is a part of kingdom life. And this is the parable that we read in the beginning. This guy had no intention to give. In fact, Jesus said in the parable, you're going to die this very night and who's going to get whatever you've built? Nobody. You're dying with your wealth. You're going to the afterlife, whether it's heaven or hell, with no money. It's going, not going with you. It stays here and goes to no one. Are you with me? Still here. And I just, I see this, and we're almost done here. I may not get through my other point. This is like a, like I said, this is 14 pages of notes. Sometimes I'll, I'll hit a message topic like this, and I'll just go at it. And then I'll, I'll kind of see it as like two, three parts probably, as we unpack it. But I want to just address where this greed comes from. Like, where is this found? Like, in the origin. Like, and I believe it's found in the very nature of Satan himself. We addressed a little bit of this last week. Where do we first see the motivations of greed present? Well, there's only two passages in Scripture that really could be a reflection. Scholars would say these are the only two, these are the two main passages that describe Satan before he fell. And sort of describe Satan as to why he fell. And it's in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And even though in context... The writer is speaking specifically about the king of Tyre and the king of Babylon. Scholars believe this is is symbolic as a reflection of the storyboard or the storyline of Satan and why he fell, Lucifer, why he fell as an angel. And I want to read this to you, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 14, because this gives us a little bit of a glimpse of to the wrestle we're wrestling up against. Like, this is the core of the nature of who Satan is. He wants to take you out. With greed because he's Mr. Greed himself. Just how are you fallen from heaven, O Daystar, son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground and who lay the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That sounds like greed to me. I will desire for something that's not in my cards. I will go after something that's not my destiny. I want to be better than I am today. Greed is driving me. I want to be better than you, God. This is the, this is the sort of the, the vibe that we're getting from this. Greed was present. We see in Ezekiel chapter 28, listen to this. Some of you have never read this scripture, but this is one of the only sort of nature-defying or or even like the, the des- descriptions in all of the Scripture of, of Satan, what he was like before he fell and who he was. It says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12, you are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. He was in Eden. So, I mean, essentially, even though we're talking about Other people here, and symbolically, like no one else was in Eden. This is why we believe that this is a description of Satan. He was actually in Eden before he was a snake. He was in Eden, hanging out with God. He was in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious, precious stone. Red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green barrel, onyx, green jasper, and the list goes on all beautifully crafted for you, and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. The day you were created, Lucifer, Satan, this is given to you. Verse 14, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You know that Satan was actually a cherub angel. He was a cherubim. I've anointed you as the mighty Guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. What was that evil that was found in him? Greed. Your rich, listen to this, your rich commerce led you to violence. Your love for more, your obsession with more led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace, from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with what? Pride because of your beauty. Now listen to this. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. Greed was found in you. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Continues on and it talks about his dishonest trade and I don't want to get into this. There's so much to unpack here. I don't have time to get into this. But greed, fueled by pride, was at the very core of Lucifer before it all went down. And this is the same wrestle we have today, you guys. It's the same wrestle. It's the same wrestle. God wants to set you free from greed. Guard that generosity, guard your motivations. I remember in an encounter years ago, I I I I uh, I won't go into the details, but I had this really intense encounter with God where I saw the foundation of Satan's domain. I saw it. I was walking on it actually. And the whole foundation was covered in coins, in money, all of it. It was dark everywhere you walked. And the I remember in this encounter thinking to myself, man, the foundation, like the very floor from which the enemy builds everything on is the love of money. And this is the very thing that Jesus warned us against in Matthew 6, 24, the love of money. And I just believe that God in this hour wants to deliver his church from the love of money. And one of the ways we do that is to start being generous with what God's given us. Our time, our skill, our finances, all the things that God has entrusted to us, to start being generous because that's the antidote to protect protect ourselves against falling into the trap of greed. I want you to stand up with me just as we, we close here. I didn't get to point two. That's okay. I'm just really just leaning into this, trusting that it's going to come out how it needs to come out because, and I know I was scripture heavy this morning, but I want to hopefully unveil to you some of the realities of why this is so important to deal with. Some of you might feel like, man, that was like a really heavy, a heavy message. Like, I, I, I don't know how it applies to me. I just believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you this week about how it applies to you. Maybe, maybe fear has been knocking at your door in the area of your money, in the area of your time in the area of your relationships in the area of whatever it is that God has entrusted you with to be generous with maybe fear has been knocking at that door and saying if you do this if you do that, you're not going to have enough you're not going to have enough time left you're going to be emotionally spent you're not going to be able to give what you need to give to that person, this person or whatever the case may be for you I don't know what the struggle is for you but God wants to deliver you this morning I really believe that if you just raised your hands just for a few moments. Holy Spirit, I'm praying for a spirit of deliverance to fall on this room, over your people this morning, in the area of greed, God. Like some of us in this room, God's been speaking to you, and you've still not acted yet. Because you're waiting for the right, like you're waiting for like cart things to line up. Let me tell you, things don't line up until you act. Some of you are waiting to obey God once things line up. You're like, God, I'll do this when this happens. And God's like, no, 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 I've already asked you to do it. You know that. When you do it, those things that haven't lined up yet will line up. But God, it makes no sense. And God's like, exactly. Because kingdom life makes no sense. It's not logic. It's faith-centric. It's not logic-oriented. And there are steps of faith that God is calling you to take in this season. That if you would just trust Him, you're going to win the battles. Don't be like Israel and don't withhold from God what's His and expect to win battles He's told you He's called you to win. It's about the instruction in this season. Listen to what God's saying to you and step into what He's calling you to do in Jesus' name. Let's just worship our way through this moment right now. I just feel like we need to worship our way through this moment. God, you're delivering us this morning. God, if there are people in in this room that don't know you, I pray that right now, God, there would be a heart that would be open. You You said in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is God, He is Lord, and believe in your heart that He was raised from the dead, we will be transformed. And in this moment right now, God, we just, I pray for anybody in this room that has not yet encountered you in a real way that you would overwhelm them with your forgiveness overwhelm them with your kindness overwhelm them with your love right now in Jesus name